Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. I'm Sam Ashurst, I'm a writer, I'm a director and I'm a podcast person and usually I'm joined by Dan Martin, the special effects extraordinaire, um, but he's in demand and he's off on a location doing some crazy, gory nonsense as we speak. And normally when Dan's away, I'm joined by Shay, but Shay has unfortunately uh, got COVID-19 and is currently resting. She's very poorly indeed. In fact, I think I hear the sounds of her fifth watch of Carlito's way uh, resonating from the bedroom and also the sounds of her tears because she really, really wanted to be a part of this episode. She absolutely loves Carlito's way and we've watched the movie again. We've watched every commentary, all the extras and Shay had a lot of really interesting thoughts, some of which I'm going to incorporate into this episode delivered by me. Um, but I'm also hoping that we'll get Shay in extra features if I'm able to drop it into the edit. So do stay tuned for the end for Shay's thoughts on this masterpiece of a movie. This is kind of a last minute thing that we scrambled together because, yeah, we only found out that Shay had COVID yesterday. And then today she was just so much worse. So this is a last minute solo effort from me, but I hope you still find it interesting and rewarding because this is a film that I absolutely adore and I really do believe should be in everyone's collection. And this release specifically, this Arrow Video 4K UHD should be on every cinema lover's shelf. It really is that special to me. So yeah, let's get started. And I'm actually going to start with the commentary, which I don't normally do, or at least one of the commentaries, because there's a, a Matt Zoller Zetz talk track uh, with this movie. There's actually two commentaries, and uh, the first one is the Matt Zoller Zetz one. It's the first one that we listen to. And there's stuff in here that I agree with, there's stuff that I don't agree with, and we'll get onto that a little later. But the thing I agree with most is the fact that Matt calls it an emotional film and one of De Palma's most emotional movies. I completely agree. And so much of that emotional weight comes from Carlito himself, Al Pacino. It's in how emotive the voiceover is right from the start, combined with Pacino's career best performance. I love him in this film so much. The emotion in this voiceover is pretty much up there with the greatest for me and the combination of that emotion in the delivery and it's almost like Pacino's able to listen to his own voiceover while he's delivering his performance they feel so connected in that way and that connection is more intense than I think almost any voiceover movie I've seen and that includes Goodfellas uh, Shay actually compared the voiceover to a great score, saying that De Palma uses voiceover like music to really get the maximum emotional response from the audience. And yeah, it's absolutely an example of a voiceover punching just as hard as a soundtrack. That was also something that Shay said, and I completely agree. It's, it's really, really beautiful. There's just so much power in this film. It's overwhelming. It's also thrilling and funny and surprising. 
and I was just so excited when Arrow announced that they were going to be releasing this 4K. The transfer looks beautiful, um, colors really pop, and it does have that kind of grainy feel that you hope for when uh, putting in a 4K UHD. And this is obviously the best I've ever seen it. It was a really kind of exciting upgrade. And I felt that excitement from obviously the, the opening moments of the movie. It's a film that is just immediately captivating. I love, love, love the way the camera moves in these opening moments. And for me, it feels like a spirit leaving a body those kind of strange, almost otherworldly angles as the camera kind of tracks alongside Carlito and above him. It really does feel quite spiritual and profound. You know, the music helps, obviously, and that emotional voiceover. And even the performances, like you get a couple of bored cops or, you know, indifferent cops walking behind the stretcher and it looks like... I don't know, a photograph from 40s New York or something. Like there's something about the background actors that the Palmer's uh, chosen for that very kind of brief moment that really conveys a lot about not just how these policemen feel about Carlito, but how the world feels about him. And then the emotion just increases as we then cut into essentially Carlito's life flashing before his eyes and we see how he's ended up in the situation he's in on the stretcher. It begins in black and white and it's depicting a tragedy, it's, it's a crime story, and the choice really feels like a tribute to its noir influences. Dr. Douglas Kesey talks a little bit about this on his uh, commentary track, the, the second option. That was a weird experience watching that with Shay because there's stuff that I said to Shay on our watch of this movie before we got onto the commentaries. And Dr. Kesey would say very similar things, almost or exactly the same things at the same time that I said them to Shay. And there were a couple of moments where we looked at each other and I had to say, I promise I didn't listen to this commentary before, before you and steal from it. I did joke to Shay at one point that I feel like uh, I've actually found my real soulmate uh, which is Dr. Kesey, because, yeah, we see the world in a very similar way. Really, really love that commentary. I'll talk a little bit more about it later. Definite tribute to the noir influences. A lot of noir movies do begin with a dead or dying character telling you how they ended up in the spot they were in. But actually, more than uh, a noir this definitely feels like a tragedy. It's always felt like a Greek or a Shakespearean tragedy to me. There's exposition at the start, which feels like a Greek chorus or something, you know, setting up the situation and letting us know why we should care. And it really does lay out a five act structure, this film, which does bring it close to one of these kind of Greek tragedies. It, it really is an interesting structure, very different to traditional gangster movies, for sure. Which isn't to say it doesn't have like the gangster movie tropes, you know, there's guns, there's violence, there's double crosses, there's blackmail, there's drugs, there's all sorts. But it also feels like a Western at times. One of my favourite scenes amongst many does feel like a, a, a cowboy walking into the wrong bar and, you know, ending with a shootout and 
yeah, speaking of that scene, I do really like Arrow's new art for the cover. I like the concept of it, you know, the reflection in the water and uh, and all the rest of it. It's a lovely cover, but I will always, always prefer the original poster. I had it up in my bedroom when I was a kid, um, but actually this might be the first time I've realized it's probably the only studio picture with a poster featuring the main character in a toilet. Um, you know, Street Trash, that's more of an independent film than a studio picture. And uh, that guy isn't in the toilet, he's literally in a toilet, so it's very different. Um, but yeah, that sequence uh, in the bar, in the toilet, is one of my favourites of any De Palma movie. And there's obviously so many great scenes and set pieces that he's directed. But I've seen this movie maybe a hundred times and I can uh, quote it verbatim, this scene, much to Shay's annoyance. But the commentary, um, the Dr. Kesey commentary, actually elevated this sequence for me um, because I have never picked up on it as a metaphor for filmmaking and for De Palma specifically. Uh, Dr. Kesey compares Carlito's character to De Palma himself. You know, he's got to get the right shot, he's got to get the right angles, and you know, he's talking about this shot's gonna blow you away and all the rest of it. So yeah, very, very cool comparison. I've never connected that before. But I think the reason this scene is so special for me is it contains my favorite trope, uh, I think, in all movies. And that's when we get to see a character thinking when the movie slows down and lets us see someone working something out or planning something and you know we're looking through their eyes as they start to put things together and this is just such a brilliant example of that with beautiful editing and escalation and the score in this scene is just the cherry on top it really is a beautifully beautifully constructed sequence and De Palma communicates so much visually not just in this scene, but across the whole movie. It's even in the lighting. Um, Shay noticed a scene where Carlito is confronting Benny Blanco and Blanco's face is covered in red light. But Carlito's face is only half red, even though he should probably also be full red um, because of, you know, where they're standing. But that red half is clearly his old face, like his old life. And he sees himself in Blanco, he sees himself in that red, but half of his soul is in the light, it's reaching for the light, it wants to escape this life. So Benny Blanco is full red and Carlito's half red. So yeah, pretty clever by Shay. And I've got another interpretation of, of, you know, the meaning of this stuff. You know, red is also a symbol, it's a symbol for blood, it's a symbol for violence, but it's also there for danger. And so it's like in those old Spider-Man comics, the Steve Ditko stuff, where when Peter Parker experienced his spider sense going off when he was out of costume, you'd see half of his face turn into Spider-Man's face and, you know, the, the lightning bolts above his head. And then the other half would be Peter Parker. And I think for this, it is, you know, Benny Blanco is dangerous, but Carlito's underestimating him. And he should be paying attention to that danger signal, that spider sense that should be going off. Um, but that ties into Carlito's fatal flaw, which is he's got two sides of one personality trait in a way. 
Um, the positive side is that he's very loyal to his friends. And maybe the negative side of that is that he's a little bit arrogant. You know, he kind of puts himself above his friends in a way because he does have this savior kind of complex. Um, it's there in his relationship and it's there in his, um, yeah, in his entanglements with Kleinfeld, the Sean Penn lawyer character, who, yeah, let's just talk about Sean Penn for a minute because this is another superb performance. It's twitchy, it's geeky, and it's expertly escalated. You absolutely buy this character's bizarre journey. It's completely awe-inspiring what Sean Penn does in this movie. Some people said that Penn stole the film from Pacino. I wouldn't go that far, but I just love the fact, and I learned this from the commentary, that Penn actually turned up on the set uh, having shaved his hairline back and um, permed his hair into curls because he saw this character as very clown-like. So that's just an incredible decision by Penn, one of many in this film. He really is just spectacular. Let's get into those commentaries because uh, I should talk about the extras in more depth before I move on. But I didn't actually make it that far into Matt Zoller-Zetz's commentary um, as it, it wasn't for me. It had some kind of weird interpretations of the text. I, I think Matt read Kleinfeld and Carlito's relationship as being one of repressed homosexuality. I'm not necessarily sure I see that. I think, you know, Carlito and, and, and Kleinfeld have more of a big brother, little brother relationship where Carlito's the big brother and Kleinfeld kind of wants to be like his big brother, but he's on a very different path and he should stay on that path and, and not stray from it. I honestly don't think anyone in this film is trying to sneak in uh, a metaphor for homosexuality. You know, not that there would be anything wrong with it if they did. Uh, in fact, it would be uh, wonderful if they did but um, I just don't see it in this film. And there was some stuff that felt just factually wrong, not necessarily like interpretive, but right from the earliest moments, like uh, Matt describes Carlito as being kind of clearly dead in the first few minutes of the movie. And for me, that really discounts the tension throughout because we don't know what's gonna happen to Carlito. He's just on a stretcher and he's being led away. You know, the music is very kind of mournful and it's in slow motion, it's in black and white. There is some stuff to suggest that, you know, maybe Carlito isn't going to survive. But also some of the things that he says run counter to that. Like he says that he's been in this situation before, you know, he survived in the past. The fact that he's kind of slightly resigned to his fate does run counter to traditional narratives like this where the character thinks they're going to die and we see the narrative play out and then they're all right in the end. And certainly the way we get attached to Carlito and the way we really, really want things to work out for him and Gail, it does create tension for the ending. Even though you think you know what's going to happen, you don't necessarily know what's going to happen. So I, I really feel like this is a very deliberate choice by De Palma um, to create this kind of, is he going to be okay, isn't he? 
And I think to say that he definitely dies in the opening is to really discount that really <laughs> deliberate choice by De Palma. So yeah, you know, I probably made it halfway through the commentary, um, or maybe a third of the way of that commentary before I kind of wanted to switch over to the other one. The second commentary, I'm glad I did, um, because it's absolutely insane. Dr. Douglas Kesey, as I mentioned earlier, I had that surreal experience of him saying stuff that I had said to Shay. And even at one moment, there was talk about, you know, the fact that there's two books, Carlito's Way and After Hours. And After Hours is uh, the more logical choice for a title for this movie because most of the plot comes from that um, book. But as I said to Shay, you know, I think that's probably because De Palma's friend, Martin Scorsese, had already taken that title. And I literally just finished saying this sentence when uh, Douglas, Dr. Douglas said the same thing on the screen. So very, very surreal. But there were plenty of moments of analysis and connections that I've never made, would never think of in a million years. Uh, I've seen this film a hundred times and there were still so many moments where Dr. Douglas really elevated my enjoyment of the movie by, you know, even visual stuff that I can't believe I've never picked up on before, such as the moment where Carlito's standing in the rain with the garbage can um, lid on over his head to protect himself from the rain and his arms at a very specific angle. I have never ever noticed that Gail, who he's watching dancing in the warm dry studio, puts her arm at the very same angle, connecting these two characters uh, and really communicating the fact that even though um, Carlito thinks he's trash and you know not worthy of being in the, in the warmth uh, of Gail's surroundings, that actually these two characters are connected and the universe does want them to be together. I really, really loved that observation. So I learned a lot from it. I love listening to it and just beautifully written, brilliantly clever. And if it had been full length, it would have been my arrow commentary of the year by far. But that's where this one falls down a little bit. Yeah, it actually stops dead at around 51 minutes into the movie and then picks up again at the two hour 10 mark. So yeah, it's not perfect. You know, there's a lot of jumping ahead to later scenes and that's obviously because it's more of an essay than a, a traditional commentary. But I just wish that um, Dr. Douglas Kesey had been able to uh, see out the whole film and uh, talked about those scenes when they actually appeared. And yeah, some people will love that first commentary as well. It really is just personal taste from me. It's a lot more personal than the second and definitely singular. It's It wasn't for me, but that doesn't mean that it won't be for you. Um, and for the record, me and Shay do love Matt Zolazetz. And um, yeah, in fact, Shay owns a copy of his book, The Soprano Session. So <laughs> no shade to you, Matt, if you're listening to this. But um, yeah, I just, ah, there's just stuff in there that wasn't for me. You know, you win some, you lose some. But yeah, even though that second commentary does stop dead at 51 minutes and leaves a big chunk silent, uh, the level of research and insight in what's actually there is what really elevated it for me. So interesting couple of talk tracks, let's put it that way. And yeah, in terms of the other extras, 
We've got Carlito and the Judge, which is a, a new interview with Judge Edwin Torres, who's the, the author of the books on which uh, Carlito's Way is based. And a, an amazing interview with the editors, uh, Bill Pankow and Christina Bowden. And um, yeah, that one's called Cutting Carlito's Way. Outside of Dr. Douglas Kesey's commentary, that's probably my second favorite extra. Like this film is so beautifully edited. So to get any time with Bill and Christina is really, really special. It's also an appreciation by film critic David Eidelstein, who is basically talking about how much he loves De Palma and, and quite rightly so. Um, yeah, it's really interesting and, and very passionate, uh, very, very good. And there's also a couple of archival bits and pieces, lovely interview with De Palma about the movie and yeah, a great making of that's ported over from the original DVD release, which um, is, is really a wonderful behind the scenes extra. Um, I've seen that one a few times before um, because it was on the DVD, but really glad to see it here. So yeah, overall, really really special film one of my all-time favorites and this release absolutely does justice to almost an also ran into palmer's career there's no way that people see this in the same kind of level as stuff like blowout and carry or even scarface which this film does sometimes feel like an unofficial sequel to so i hope that this release does bring a bit more attention to this film it really does deserve to be seen uh shoulder to shoulder with De Palma's very best. So yeah, Carlito's Way, I recommend it. And now let's move on to recommendations based on the film. And I was planning on shocking Shay with my first recommendation because this is one of my kind of typical, slightly weird ones. But I would like to recommend on the back of Carlito's Way, The Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> um, now that's because Shawshank is another literary 90s masterpiece with a real tearjerker feel and actually the ending is very similar in a way as both involve dreams of a paradise let's say uh, on a distant beach um, but the way they're delivered is obviously very very different and yeah just as with Carlito's Way it's a beautifully performed film with really kind of rounded characters and where Carlito's Way is from a certain perspective, a film about friendship gone wrong, Shawshank Redemption is about a friendship gone right. And where Carlito's Way feels like a 40s crime movie about a guy that's just been released from prison, Shawshank is a 40s crime movie about a guy who's just been sent to prison. I do think that this would make a pretty cool double bill. I'd argue that Carlito's Way should be watched first and then The Shawshank Redemption second. I think that feels right emotionally in terms of, you know, where these films kind of rise and fall. It's a film that we've probably never recommended and I think that's probably because everyone's already seen it. Uh, but if you haven't, do prioritise it. It really is a beautiful, beautiful film. Transcendent art for sure. And I think if I listen very carefully, I can hear the sound of Dan grinding his teeth that I've recommended to Shawshank Redemption on the Arrow video podcast. Um, but I was kind of relying on the fact that Shay was going to go with something obscure and weird next, as uh, she is able to do. But instead, 
I am going to uh, move on to my next <laughs> recommendation, which is another mainstream movie that you can watch very easily. It is called Uncut Gems. You might have heard of it. It's one of those movies where you spend the runtime hoping it's going to turn out different every time you watch it. Um, but of course, the movie can't change. Even if we do, uh, the movie stays the same. So Uncut Gems is that feeling on uh, steroids or on, uh, I don't know, fentanyl or whatever, <laughs> whatever your drug of choice is, but where Al Pacino can't escape his life of crime, Adam Sandler can't get away from his gambling addiction. This is almost certainly the most stressful movie ever made. Up there with After Hours, that film by uh, De Palma's friend Scorsese. And uh, yeah, like After Hours, uh, Uncut Gems is one of the best films ever made. And in terms of connections to Carlito's way, there's not only that kind of feeling of stress and that feeling of someone kind of circling the drain. I do see something of Penelope Ann Miller's character in Julia Fox's Julia in Uncut Gems. Um, I won't say any more because I don't want to get into the spoiler zone, but Uncut Gems, I recommend it. It's incredible. It's available on Criterion Blu-ray. So um, yeah, fuck Netflix, <laughs> pick up the Blu-ray and uh, keep it in your collection forever. All right, let's move on to films from the past couple of weeks. And I'm gonna start with a Stanley Kubrick movie. And I love Stanley Kubrick's work. Obviously, if you're a film fan, there's at least one of his films that have melted your brain. But for me, there's still films of his that I haven't actually seen. Uh, I'm slightly weird like that. I still haven't watched the final season of The Wire. There are books where I haven't read the final chapter. I just really like to have very high quality stuff to look forward to you know, just in case movies, books, or even music go to shit, I'll still have masterpieces to experience. So for me, this has actually been a pretty shitty year for movies. So I broke out an unwatched Kubrick and good Lord, I'm so glad I did. It's absolutely uh, magnificent. Barry Lyndon was so much more on every level than what I was expecting. Um, firstly, it was more of a comedy than uh, I thought it would be. I'd actually mistaken it for a, a serious costume drama where it's actually a precursor to stuff like Black Adder and The Favourite. I think it was a massive influence on both, especially Black Adder, weirdly. Like, there's a couple of moments in this film where I feel like they directly inspired uh, the writing and filming of that TV show. But for me, uh, Barry Lyndon is even better than even Blackadder. I loved every moment of it. it. It's such a cliche to say every frame looks like a painting, but it literally does deliberately so. I watched this on the Criterion Blu-ray and there's great making of documentaries on there. And yeah, there's some shot comparisons to the paintings that were an influence on Kubrick. And yeah, it's really thrilling to see how he achieved this movie. Some of the stuff about the lighting, obviously, which I think pretty much everyone knows that it was mostly naturalistic lighting used on this, including the use of candlelight to light certain sequences. Um, but I did find out from the extras that there were a couple of cheats in there as well. But even with the cheats, it's still insanely impressive and yeah, wonderful production design. It was mostly shot in real spaces. 
incredible costuming for which it deservedly won an Oscar. And yeah, just a stunning, stunning script. I really, really loved every element of Barry Lyndon. I can't wait to watch it again. And if you, like me, hadn't watched it because um, you wanted to save it for a special occasion or because you thought maybe it was a little bit intimidating because costume dramas can sometimes be a bit of a chore, whack it onto your watch list. Yeah, get to it as soon as you can because it's such an enthralling and engaging and exciting experience. Um, Barry Lyndon, I recommend it. All right, last from me this week is another unseen masterpiece from my all-time favourite director. This is an auteur who's cast a black and white shadow onto every single great director who's followed him, especially Stanley Kubrick. It is Orson Welles, and it's his film, The Trial. Holy shit, this is another Criterion pickup. It's the Criterion sale here in the States right now. 50% off at Barnes & Noble, so I have gone a little bit crazy. One of my first watches from the stuff I picked up was The Trial. Uh, it's the 4K release, and holy shit, this felt unbelievably modern, like it was made yesterday. Uh, it really has the atmosphere and structure of a nightmare, which meant that this film stayed with me for a very long time after watching it. Images and moments actually flash back to me whenever I get a spare minute, which isn't often these days, but it was also like Barry Lyndon, much funnier than I was expecting. It has the kind of pitch black humour that I really love. Apparently Bogdanovich really hated this movie and and said pretty much as much to, to Wells. His opinion on it only changed when he actually watched it with Wells sitting next to him. And Wells's kind of uproarious laughter at the moments that were meant to be comedic uh, switched Bogdanovich on to what this film actually was. And it is definitely a comedy. It would make a perfect paranoid double bill with Dr. Strangelove. And actually, if you told me that The Trial was a Kubrick movie, I would absolutely believe you. So yeah, tricky and triumphant. The Trial was completely thrilling from start to finish. I loved it. Great 4K release by Criterion. And there's some lovely, lovely extras on there too. So The Trial, I recommend it. All right, it's time for extra features. I'm not going to do the song because not only is Dan away, I'm on my own. So um, no extra features song. But we may have an extra feature this week because I'm hoping that Shay, who was so bummed and so disappointed that she couldn't take part in this episode, I'm hoping that she's going to have enough energy to record a little solo take on Carlito's way. And if she does, then I'm gonna drop it in here. Hey everyone, I have the COVID virus, but I do want to talk to you just a little bit about Carlito's Way. It's an amazing movie. Nothing is going to keep me back. <laughs> I promise that you won't catch it from listening to me, but I hope that I don't sound too terrible. The thing I really wanted to mention is this idea of two different Carlitos and two different forms of paradise because he seems to be standing in these two circles the entire film and it creates an incredible amount of suspense. 
suspense. Brian De Palma is a master of suspense, like his idol Hitchcock. And we start the film off with a really huge question. Is he going to survive the gunshot? <laughs> and you go the entire film not really knowing, and also whether or not he's worthy of surviving it. Is he worthy of a second chance? I mean, how many second chances can a character have, ultimately? And Carlito, having a heart of gold, having been truly reformed, really seems to be deserving of it. And you can really taste this freedom for him. And you know that he needs to be a criminal, just temporarily, to get back on his feet, to get the money that he needs to escape to the real paradise, not the old paradise, the, the club that he's working in that's actually named <laughs> Paradise. And he's ready to... To be an older, wiser Carlito. He's not going to be Benny from the Bronx. He's going to be someone who prioritizes the right things. At least he's trying to. And that is ultimately his fatal flaw. He's trying to do the right thing, but he is loyal to bad people. And he's actually not that firmly rooted in himself, which makes him kind of a fallen hero, where these temptations to revert to his old ways are just too strong. He can't be a temporary criminal. Watching him struggle with that between him and Kleinfeld, his lawyer, who busted him out 25 years sooner really is fascinating to watch he feels so much loyalty to him for that reason and Kleinfeld feels so much loyalty to Carlito because Carlito gave him his very first set of pretty wealthy clients but now he's running favors for the mafia and stealing money from really really bad people and getting himself into even more trouble than Carlito watching their dynamic play out was really amazing Sean Penn I dare say it upstages Al Pacino at times because we all know how big Pacino can get especially after Scarface but Pacino plays this role with such vulnerability and sensitivity but at the same time is incredibly stubborn and conflicted and you can see that storm in his eyes I just love watching him perform this and the way he looks at Gale and the way he looks at Kleinfeld there's such a different expression and you can see those two pathways so clearly. This film is so suspenseful. And one scene I really want to talk about is in the pool hall. There's a moment where he notices the crack in the door and someone peering in. And the first time I saw this, I thought he seems so tense because he's in this situation with a drug dealer and, and he's just very uncomfortable because he doesn't want to get back into the life. When you rewatch the scene and you realize that his whole mood changes because he sees impending doom, you realize, oh, he's not just uncomfortably shifting throughout the space. He's scoping every angle, trying to find the means by which to survive whatever is about to happen. When ultimately they're attacked, Carlito is vindicated. His instincts for survival are totally on point. I love the way this movie is filmed. The camera is quintessentially De Palma. Every trick he has up his sleeve is in full use. We have lighting that is extremely evocative and very emotional. We have an incredible soundtrack, very stirring. We have this emotional voiceover. We have an overall structure where these little nodes are laid down in the story. And when you 
you hit them, it feels like it could be a landmine. Because if Carlito makes the wrong decision in this moment, he's going to go down the bad path and he's never going to return. He's not going to be redeemed. But if he makes the right choice, it's like, okay, great. He's going to live another day, but what's going to happen tomorrow? And over and over again, he's hitting these narrative nodes. And it's really difficult to relax because you want so badly for him to make it to the end and for him to be reunited with Gale to be safe. You just want him to get to paradise. This is definitely a must-see for everybody listening, and the transfer on this disc is absolutely beautiful, and I would recommend this as a Christmas gift. Give it to someone that you love, and really enjoy the performances within. Thank you so much for listening, and I promise to be less sick next time. Hopefully it hasn't been too much of a chore to listen to and even if it has it's over now and Dan's going to be back next time anyway. We're going to be doing the first episode of our annual end of year special. Can't wait to hear what Dan found good this year because I've struggled to put together a top 10 but I've got a lot of cinema trips booked up in the next couple of weeks so um Hopefully I'll see some gems between now and then. All right, I think that's it until the end of year special. Thank you so much for listening and we promise to be more professional next time. Bye-bye.